I know already that you are glad that you have uh, come and uh, made your way here today to be a part of the worship service. We know that there are those who are maybe still at home watching online for one reason or another. Some who are traveling, also tuning in. We appreciate those who uh, take part in the worship service as well. And uh, uh, we know the Lord's going to continue. It is, I believe, that the Lord has a word for each one of us here today. Maybe you've already heard it in song, maybe through baptism or maybe through the reading proclamation of His Word. But I want your hearts to be prepared that as we leave this place that we'll be changed and we will be different. You may have noticed if you've looked at your notes, there are three different Scripture passages, one from Genesis and 49, uh, 2 Samuel 7, and then also in Luke chapter 1. I want you to go to the Luke 1 passage. We'll put the others on the screen, but I really want you to look at this. Even though it is a familiar story, please grab your Bibles. You've got a smartphone or a tablet. I'd love for you to see this with your own eyes. Or there's some Bibles sometimes in the pit in the racks under the chairs as well. But we sure want you to be able to be uh, ready to follow along. We have been in this series of messages as we have looked back in order that we might be able to move forward. We've been looking at the prophecies from the Old Testament and kind of we're adding to it as we go. And even if this is your first time to tune in or to be here today, it's not that you have been lost because we're catching you up here because we know the very first prophecy about the coming Christ child we found in, uh, in uh, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, we found that he was going to be born of woman. And then we know uh, also uh, from Genesis and chapter 12, in verse 3, we know that he was going to be born of the chosen people, one of the children of Israel, going to be from Abraham. And so today we look at, we kind of look at five prophecies all together, but we're going to double up maybe a little bit here today. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages, and one of those is from Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, 50 chapters in Genesis. We come toward the end of Genesis, and we find that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, remember he had 12 sons, and he's coming to bless each of the sons, and he has something about them and even foretells a little bit about their future. So when he comes to Judah, this verse is, is included. This is what Jacob was saying about Judah and about his descendants. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the king of Israel, and the kings until the final king in Jesus, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people." Revelation chapter 5, it says, that talks about Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So this is more about prophecy that was coming about the Christ child. And then we find also in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan the prophet is speaking to David. It's toward the end of David's uh, career, in the, toward the end of David's life. And this is what Nathan says to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, who else but Jesus could have a throne that could be established uh, forever. So we find today, talking about the prophecies or, that come from these two verses, we know that he's going to be born of Judah and that he would be a son of David. And uh, so... Probably many places in the New Testament in which this is fulfilled, but we're particularly going to zero in on Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This now is the Word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, who will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of the kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Just so that you make sure that you don't miss the fulfillment of what was taking place here. Let's zero in verse 27. Luke chapter 1 and verse 27 to where it says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And then verse 32 and 33. We just read it a moment ago. But he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high, the father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, understanding as we look at these verses, Gabriel, Gabriel saying these verses... And we just read these in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Gabriel obviously knew the Old Testament. Or, of course, these are the words of God that the angel of God was sharing. A couple of more prophecies that you will want to be a part of. It is on Christmas Eve as we gather at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve for a candlelight communion service. We're going to take a few moments to look at another prophecy so that we might be able to look back in order to be able to move forward. And then again on the 26th. We can't undecorate between the 25th and 26th, so we're just going to continue uh, that celebration as well. Well, it was a few days before Christmas, and she had not bought her cards as of yet to be able to be sent out. So quickly she found in the store, and there's about only one box left, but it looked Christmassy enough, a box of 50 cards, so she grabbed it. Quickly came home, signed all of them, put all the addresses on, and uh, put stamps on it, and put it in the mail. Well, busy time, but a day or two later, she uh, is sitting down, realizes one card in the box, and she hadn't really read what was on the inside. So finally she stops and she reads, and it was a poem that's on the inside. It says, this card is just to say that a nice Christmas gift is on the way. (laughs) 49 people waiting for a Christmas gift that would probably never come. May I submit to you that the Lord has never made a promise. He's never spoken a word, never sent a message. Always he speaks the truth, and everything that he says comes to pass. May today we realize and may we celebrate that everything he says is true and does come to pass. And may we learn something again about our own faithfulness and about changes that might need to take place even on this Sunday or this week before Christmas that the Lord is still telling us. The Lord teaches me something new every time I read God's Word. And even in this familiar story of we have of uh, the Gabriel coming to Mary, there's something new for us to be able to learn. Earlier in this chapter, in Luke chapter 1, we know that the angel came to the old priest by the name of Zechariah, who he and his wife Elizabeth had no children, but the angel came and talked about the birth of John the Baptist. It was a message of preparation for John was going to prepare Israel for the ministry of Jesus. For this visit to Mary, it's going to be a little bit different than it was to Zechariah. After all, here was Zechariah and Uh, The angel Gabriel came to the Jerusalem, capital of Palestine. He comes to the temple and actually speaks to him there in the Holy of Holies. 
to the priest, to an elder priest, uh, no less. I mean, that seems appropriate for a high-class angel-like, high-ranking angel of God like Gabriel. But this visit, this particular visit that we read a moment ago to the small, out-of-the-way town, kind of on the edge of Palestine, to a town you would have never heard of or would never be mentioned in any history book whatsoever were it not for this story that is told and needs to be told in the Bible. In the town of Nazareth, there's a young girl uh, with the name of Mary, hardly noticed among many or all the Jewish girls, perhaps in that day and in Palestine, but she's chosen to be the mother of the most high son of God. We consider today this uh, angel's visit to Mary for the last 2,000 years, people have taken issue with Mary, maybe to two extremes. Either she's been worshipped, prayed to, given God-like status as an administrator of grace, or sometimes Protestants like us ignore it altogether. But for Mary, to whom the angel came, she's not to be worshipped, nor is she to be forgotten. I do believe she is to be honored. And this morning, we want to pay attention to the message of the angel and to her response. This young lady, this teenage girl, perhaps at the age of 13 when this particularly happened, because in that culture, often girls would be engaged at 12 and 13. The angel comes and says, depending on your translation, rejoice or greetings, and gave her the title highly favored one. Actually, some manuscripts actually read the one who's favored or the one who's blessed among women. All translations read that Gabriel said to her, the Lord is with you. Can we ask the question, why was Mary given these titles and accolades? I mean, after all, why Mary? Was Mary a good girl? My good, how dare we even ask such a question? We, we naturally think that she must have been for her to be visited by the angel. But if she's in fact 12 or 13 years of old, some of us might be thinking, well, has she lived long enough not to be a good girl? Although if you're asking that, you've probably never been around junior hires. I think Mary probably was very good and even a godly young lady but that's not what the angel told her. Gabriel's not describing Mary. He's describing the one who sent him to Mary. God highly favors you. It's more about God than it is about Mary. The word for favor has nothing to do with how good a girl she was. It's the same word that we use for grace. It's as if the Gabriel said to her, God is showing his grace towards you. And by very definition, God's grace has nothing to do with how good or bad Mary is or has been. Just as a gift is not truly a gift if it's something that has to be earned or deserved. God's favor isn't based on merit, but God's goodness. So we're going to ask the question today, why Mary? Why did God choose to reveal himself and to choose Mary to be the mother of the Son of God? And we're going to ask, why you? Why has God chosen to reveal Himself to you and to me and to show such great love? And follow along in your notes. It is, first of all, because of unmerited or undeserved grace. Like Noah in the Old Testament, the Scripture reads, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We often tell that story differently. We often emphasize the fact that, man, Noah must have been a really good person and God really noticed Noah. But that's not what the Bible says. God, God may have seen something different in Noah, but the Bible says Noah found grace in God. Undeserved, unmerited grace. So why did God choose Noah? Why did God choose Mary? We don't really know, but it was by his sovereign choice. 
And in truth, we know nothing about Mary's life before she was 12 or 13 years or however old she was before this visit from Gabriel. But we do know this. She was a sinner. Now, how do we know that? The Bible says, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Was she a bad sinner or a not so bad sinner? I don't know that it really matters because she may have sinned less than anybody else in Palestine or anybody else uh, in her town of Nazareth or maybe anybody else in the world. But that's still a million miles from the holiness of God. But God chose to call her anyway and chose her for this special task. Now, I hope that I have not taken away your image of Mary But I do hope that I'm contributing to, and the Bible is contributing to, your image of the goodness of God. Why would I make such a point today? I think it's because God wants you to celebrate the impossible. Celebrate God's goodness and grace revealed in you. Celebrate God's goodness and grace revealed in you. We're all sinners that would be without hope and were unworthy of God's goodness, but God made the impossible possible. Heaven came down and we can experience God's grace and his love and we can have life. It's been revealed in Jesus coming to earth. And if you know Jesus and you've placed your faith in him, you have reason to celebrate this Christmas season. If not, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not sure that you have a home in heaven. Well, you can be sure and you can become a part of the family of God through forgiveness of sin and placing your faith in him. And be aware if you're here today, If you don't know Christ, the Lord is working on your heart today. I want you to be prepared because He may want you to turn your life and your eternity over to Him if you're here or you're listening today. Before Gabriel came to Mary, we're we're clueless about her life. All we have is speculation. But now we can learn from her and the difference God's grace makes upon her life. Why Mary? Mary had an unworthy attitude, meaning she had an attitude of unworthiness. It's a spiritually healthy attitude. I want you to be able to understand what's being said here. The Bible doesn't record that she was frightened at the angel, though most people are frightened every time they see an angel. And she may have been, but that's not what the scripture says. Verse 29 says that she was troubled at what the angel said because of her words and because of his words and his greeting. What is it you are calling me? She got the grace part. She felt a sense of unworthiness to be given such a title. But when the angel called her highly favored one, boy, that was an understatement. What more, how highly favored to, what a greater honor to be the mother of God in the flesh. Mary, the highly favored one, submitted herself to God in spite of her sense of unworthiness. It's seen in Mary's song later in this chapter. Let's read just a few verses. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. Verse 46, Luke 1, verse 46 said, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Yeah, I I want to continue to put the emphasis. Look at that very first part of verse 48. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. There there may be a biblical pattern here that we don't want to miss. You remember Moses when he stood before the burning bush and God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses said, I don't talk so good. He probably meant to say, I don't talk well. He said, not me, Lord. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Even the Israelites will not accept me, he said. I'm unworthy. Now, Moses probably took it to extreme. 
because God even was angry at his unwillingness at first. Remember the baptism of Jesus? We talked about it a little bit here earlier. Remember what uh, John the Baptist said? I am unworthy even to unstrap his sandal. Then there was that high-ranking Roman official that came to Jesus and said that his high-ranking soldier was sick unto death and would Jesus heal him. And Jesus, when he offered to come to his house, he said, I'm unworthy for you to even come under my roof. And Jesus said he had not seen that kind of faith anywhere in all of Israel. For those who feel they've got a lot to offer God, be it your personality, your wealth, your possessions, numerous gifts, your talent. If you're the one that says, God, pick me first because I have a lot to offer. It may be to your disadvantage when it comes to you seeing God doing the impossible and using you in miraculous ways. But even then there's hope. You remember the apostle Peter in the beginning. Boy, he had big talk. Lord, I'll fight for you. Lord, I'll drink from the same cup. I'll even die for you if that's what it takes. Not only did he not fulfill these things, but he denied the Lord three times. Better to feel unworthy in a sense of unsure of self so that we might yield to God and put our trust and confidence in him and not ourselves. So if you're paying attention to your notes, usable vessels are those that have been emptied and humble before God. Now, Peter grew from a feeling of worthiness to unworthiness, and God did some great and impossible things through the ministry of Peter. Traditional church history does tell us that Peter did die for his faith, that he was martyred and executed. In fact, he was to be put on the cross in the same way in which Jesus was, but tradition tells us outside the Bible that he was actually crucified upside down, feeling unworthy to be crucified like Jesus. Not only did Mary feel unworthy, she realized her unfit condition. She could not fulfill the task on her own. Now, Mary and Joseph both were descendants of King David, part of our prophecy for today. And in this gospel, Luke focuses on Mary, the mother of the Son of God. Her son was to reign as king on the throne of David forever, according to the angel Gabriel. Well, there's only one who could reign on the throne forever. And that's the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. But Mary asked, the how question. How, according to verse 29, she said, how can this be? Let's go back. Same chapter. Remember Zechariah? When, uh, when the angel came to him, he asked the how question. Do any of you remember what happened when he asked the how question? The angel struck him mute for he couldn't talk for nine months. Well, here Mary's asking a how question. Well, uh, no reprimand from the angel this time. What's the difference? You think it is that angels uh, are much nicer to young girls than they are to, old, to, old, to the old guys? Probably not. We have in this case when Zechariah asked, how can I know? He doubted the truth. Mary asked, how is it going to happen? In verse 33, if you're reading in the King James, it says, how shall it be? We read in the ESV a moment ago, how will this be? She no more doubted the angel that it could happen, no more than a young child says, Mommy and Daddy, how's Santa going to get in since we don't have a chimney? She knew it to be true, but she did not know how, for she did not know a man. She was a virgin, asking how, for she was not married, had not been intimate with a man. And the, the drama and the significance of this particular part of the story is sometimes lost on us who've heard the story here many times. But our understanding and our faith 
in this story and how it happens often reveals to us our worldview of how God is at work in the world and how God is going to be work in our life if we will uh, if we place and if we're placing our faith in him Gabriel answered Mary's question so there'd be no doubt that what was about to happen was the activity of God and God gave her a sign and talked about the sign her relative Elizabeth in her old age was to be a sign and a reminder to her and to us that with God nothing is impossible. I've got an assignment for you this week. Here's your homework, I guess, maybe for the week of Christmas and hope that you will follow through with this. You know, we've been having this theme that we've been talking about, back to the future of Christmas. He's still king, remembering that uh, God always fulfills his promises and his purpose always prevails. We'll remember that. So I want you to memorize this verse and it's, it's an easy one for you to remember. Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. In fact, are you still with me here today? Is everybody kind of cluing in? Let's just, it's okay to even say it loudly together so that I know you're out there. You're looking at it, is it on the screen? So just say it with me now. For nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, thank you so much. So memorize that as we finish this year. All the things that you've gone through in the past year, all the things you're going to do. We don't know what the future's going to hold, but understand nothing's going to be impossible with our Lord. But how about you? Is it okay to ask God questions? It's a spiritually healthy thing to do. In fact, my God is big enough to handle anything that you can throw at him. But in your heart, do you doubt God's going to come through with whatever you're going through, with whatever you're facing today? May today and even our passages that we've looked at today, may it lead you to a sense of renewed hope and faith that he's at work in your life. The biblically poetic language that Gabriel used to describe God's work in Mary is not to be understood as conception as we know it in human terms. And we stop short of saying that this was creation that was taking place because we know that Jesus has always existed. He is eternal. We might understand it as miraculous creative activity beyond the possible or even the describable for which Mary felt unfit. That's often when God does His greatest work in our lives. We feel unfit for one reason or another, and we turn ourselves over to Him. Maybe it's your position. Maybe it's your age, your experience, or the lack thereof. Maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's because you've made mistakes or because of some wrong choices. You may think, it's too late for me. I feel unfit to be used by God. But ours is the God of forgiveness and grace. He uses the weak and the foolish to confound the wise and the strong. And sometimes he uses the mundane and the plain to do some of his most powerful work. I'm weak. I'm not very eloquent. Uh, uh, my gifts and my talents, they don't seem to wow the crowds. My guess is if you saw the 12 disciples come walking down the street, you would not be very impressed. These redneck Galilean fishermen with a tax collector sprinkled in and maybe a zealot or two. But God used the disciples to turn the world upside down with the spread of the gospel. Not by, by their power, but by God alone. Unless the Apostle Paul was really into self-deprecation and unfair with his own assessment, by his own words, he wasn't a very good looking man. And he was not very impressive. In fact, he may have suffered from epilepsy or some type of seizures that took place in his life. And he probably was not all that very interesting to listen to. But oh, how God used the greatest missionary in history and the writer, the most profound deep theology and what we call the Word of God in the New Testament. 
So if you're feeling unworthy or unfit, or you just might be the you just might be the kind of person God wants to use to a great work and allow the power of God to be revealed in you. And when it comes to self-assessment, if you feel you measure up pretty good, it may be that your standard's too low. You're comparing yourself to other people instead. Let your standard be the Lord Jesus. And in truth, when it comes to kingdom work, we are all unworthy. When it comes to serving in the Lord's army, we're all unfit. But God desires to use you anyway. If you feel undeserving and unfit, God can use you. But that's not all that is required as we talk about Mary. Why Mary? If you just feel unworthy, if you feel unfit. No, we must follow God unconditionally. Why Mary? How might God use you? Unconditional submission. We honor Mary because of her response at this critical moment in history. Mary said to Gabriel in verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Actually, the word for servant is maidservant, the lowest of all servants, humble, unconditional surrender. Do you know the world's most common prayer? It is thy will be changed. God, I want you to do something different. I want you to do it my way because we think we know best. Do you know what's the world's greatest prayer? It's thy will be done. Back when we were young, used to in the back of comic books or maybe sports magazines, you would find these advertisements for bodybuilding plans that you'd become a muscle-bound bodybuilder in 13 weeks. Just send your money in. Money back guarantee. Well, my brother sent off actually for this. I've got two older brothers and one younger, but my two older brothers in high school, I was probably in junior high, so together we were going to become bodybuilders. As you see, I'm probably the only one that that actually took. Thank you for your laughter. It's okay with that. So when you do this thing and you get these things in, actually uh, first week or two tells you eat three meals a day, kind of what we're already eating, and then, then you work out three times a week for 30 minutes a day. And that seemed to be possible. But along about week six or seven, things begin to change. And then by the time you get into it, they're wanting you to eat six meals a day, work out instead of three times a week. Now it's three times a day that they want you to be able to work out. The only way that you could follow through on that is if you stopped everything else you were doing and this is the only thing that you did 24 hours a day. Come to find out they don't give you your money back unless you have followed all of the steps that are taking place there. So after 13 weeks here... Boy, my brothers and I, we were failures. Couldn't keep up. It was impossible. Can I tell you, it's impossible to follow God unconditionally. You can't do it. And as a believer, it doesn't always get easier. Sometimes the regiment is even more difficult. Often hear people say, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. God's not going to overload my wagon. Well, listen, that sounds like a good saying, but I don't find that in the Bible. I don't find it by experience either. God often gives you more than you can handle overloads your wagon more than you can do without him. And it is impossible for you to serve God. Regiment's going to get tougher along the way unless you do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you got to take God with you. You got to take the Lord Jesus with you at home and at church and at school and on the ball field and social settings and wherever you are. Otherwise, it's impossible to follow, trust him and follow unconditionally. I believe it to be true that the Lord makes the impossible possible. Remember our verse, Luke 1, 37. Can, can we make that God's Christmas promise to you this year? 
God's Christmas gift and promise, all that we've gone through, can we not just remember and believe that it's true that nothing's impossible with Him? He makes the impossible marriage possible. He'll make the impossible grief bearable. He'll make you the impossible situation at work or at school or at home and give possible solutions if we trust and follow Him unconditionally. Verse 38, it says, The angel departed from her. Here's Mary. She's left in an extremely embarrassing and difficult situation. Engaged to Joseph, who's not yet heard from the angel by the time he has, that Gabriel has left. Stigma of an unwed mother in a very ritualistic, legalistic culture. She would be accused of adultery. She could have been stoned in that culture according to the Israelite laws. She would face much grief she would not know yet. She would see her son, the son of God, ridiculed, accused of blasphemy, tortured though innocent, hung on a sinner's cross, sins of the world placed upon his shoulders. Much of what she faced, at least in Luke chapter 1, she did not know as of yet. She had no idea, but she willingly and graciously submitted to the will of God. Well, we do not worship Mary. We do want to follow her example of being a servant of the Lord. She followed God unconditionally, no matter what the future held. Dr. T.W. Hunt is a minister and writer. He wrote Disciples Prayer Life and many others. He tells the story about when he was a young minister and he was still in school. And he, heard a test of, uh, he heard a mission testimony and he, he prayed, Lord, do you want me to go into missions? There are others of his friends who have gone into missions and he prayed that often, Lord, if you want me to go into missions, I'll go into missions. But he didn't feel the Lord led him to mission. felt like the Lord led him back to his hometown in Arkansas. And there he had a ministry. Many were coming to the Lord. Many were being discipled uh, under his ministry. Yet he heard from friends who were on the mission field, and he found that to be so exciting, and he felt his ministry was a little bit more mundane. So one particular night, he prayed throughout the night. If the Lord was calling him to do missions, he'd be ready and willing to go. And Lord, if you want me to do missions or Whatever you want me to do, please send me a message. Next morning, there was a knock on the door from an elder gentleman that whom he knew and respected. And the older gentleman came in and he told T.W. He said, I had a dream last night. And in that dream, we were all in church. And T.W., you were playing the piano in that dream. And he said, while we were singing a hymn, while we were singing a song, suddenly the roof opened up to reveal the night sky. And then there was a light that shined down on the church, but not just all over the church. In fact, T.W., it shined just on you right where you are. When I woke up that, this morning, I realized that I needed to give you a message from God. And this is what God has to say. What you're doing now, God light, God's light shines on you. Well, this is the message that the angel said to Mary. Now, I'm no angel. And if I had a dream last night, I cannot remember it. But I want to tell you that God has a message that He wants me to be able to say to you, particularly if you're serving God and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're going through, you, the message is this, God's light shines on you. And He wants to do a great work in your life. Keep serving Him. He makes the impossible possible. But may Mary's prayer be your prayer. May it be my prayer. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to His holy word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for this opportunity to come be able to worship You today. We thank You for how You have been at work through baptism and prayers and praises. And 
We pray the proclamation of your word. We know that you want to continue to speak to us and let us know how much you love us and reveal yourself to us, even though we are unworthy for that very thing. And we may not know what the future holds, Lord, but may we even now give you unconditional submission. Follow wherever you'd have us to go. This today, this week, end of the year, 2022 and beyond. May we be ready to follow you. And Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. And if there's someone here this morning or someone who's listening online that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they hear the message that today they can become a part of the family of God by forgiveness of sin and placing their faith in Jesus. May it happen today. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.